Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Championship Manager on the Post podcast, Championship Manager on the Post episode number, Dave. I think we're on number five, are we now? Five, yes. Wow, <laughs> we are back. <laughs> Hope you really enjoyed listening to the episode four we did. Nicholas Alexanderson, the best CM11, and uh, lots of other bits and bobs as well. Um, we're in the midst of the CM Cup. Was it you calling it Euro 2097? That's right, yeah, it's a catchy name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going well. It's been, it's been going well. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and I say this every year, but um, we do this as a bit of fun to finish off sort of the, the regular football season. I know it hasn't really transpired that way this year, but mm. I wasn't going to wait around for a decision that might never happen, so <laughs> we've cracked on with it. But, it, you know, the lads who, who take part in it make it what it is. If you all just, you know, sent me your teams in a Word document and, we, and that was it, it would be a bit crap. But we've had yeah. uh, we've had some, some really good laughs playing the matches. Over some Zoom cracking games. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of always at the mercy of the game with anything you do, whether it be a blog or a, a tournament or anything like that. But it never fails to, to, to throw up something interesting, which is kind of why we all know and love it over the years. But it, it's been great. I've really enjoyed the tournament. Um, yeah. You mentioned Nicholas Alexanderson there as well. I had to laugh. He, I had to ask him to follow us to obviously DM to do the podcast. He did the yeah. podcast and then unfollowed straight on the <laughs> Straight on a new business. <laughs> Job done. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't blame him. Like, <laughs> I, I, there's probably very little I'm going to tweet that's going to be of any interest to him. <laughs> I like that. I, I quite admire that, to be fair. It's yeah, a, it's, it's a... The it's, efficiency. It's a ruthless efficiency that makes me think he's probably got some German in him somewhere, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most probably. Um, what have we got coming up on today's show, Dave? So today, um, we're going to be talking Championship Manager 3, and alongside that we'll be talking 99-2000 and 2000-2001. Um, we'll save in Champman 102 for its own episode um, next yeah. month, just because it's it's got the biggest following of, uh, of all the retro champs. Um, yeah. And we've got a number of people lined up who I want to get on, and I'd rather do that as a, as a one-off show in, uh, in, mm. in June, mm. so... We'll do that next month, and this month we'll get through those, those three I just mentioned. Uh, so to do that, in a moment I'm going to introduce you to Ash from, from CM Hints, but later on we'll be talking to Chris Darwin, who um, has done all sorts with Champman and later Football yeah. Manager, uh, and then uh, Adam Hurry, who you might know as Football Clichés. He uh, is at The Athletic at the moment, but, but just a very funny man when it comes to football. He picks out the, uh, well, as, as his Twitter handle suggests, the sort of clichés, yeah. some... Uh, some of the things you might have missed, that kind of thing, which, you, again, it, it was a, it's a really fun chat. I'm sure you'll enjoy it later on. Excellent. So, uh, as mentioned, uh, we are joined for the first part of this podcast by Ash, or you may know as CM Hints. Ash, how are you, sir? Yeah, hi, Dave. Hi, Ross. Hello. Yeah, thank you for having me on the pod. Doing very well, thanks. Uh, 
fully engrossed in my CM game playing right now. <laughs> yeah, no, part of the reason you're on this podcast is because during lockdown, I mean, a lot of people have played Champ Manager, but you've really played Champ Manager. You've played <laughs> every version going just about, um, inclu- <laughs> including CM3, which is, which again is, is kind of why I thought you were the ideal candidate for this particular pod. Um, but just before we get into that, what's your, uh, what's your history with the game? When did it all start for you? So I guess my initiation into the world of uh, football management really began in the summer of 1998, you know, in those hot summer nights of France 98. <laughs> and it all began with not not um, Championship Manager, but Ultimate Soccer Manager 2. My, oh, what a game. <laughs> my, my, um, my brother said, oh, look, my mate gave me this. You want to give it a go? And, you know, before then, I had no knowledge of that game. And then it was incredible, you know, like building stadiums, mm. offering bungs, <laughs> I thought, what, you know, what in the blazes is this? So, um, you know, that was my first hook into those sorts of games. And then I think in the autumn, I bought Premier Manager. Um, then I bought right. FIFA International Manager. And it wasn't until, I think, later that year where my mate at my school, he said, try this, you know. And it was like, what is this? <laughs> and, you know, you know, like in school, it could be anything, you know. Um, but it was Manager 97, 98. And, um yeah, I mean, completely different game, obviously, to the ones that I've mentioned. And that really was the hook that, you know, if if I was interested in football manager games up until then, I became an addict with Championship Manager 97. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, yeah, it was a drug. It was a drug. And then from there, I hopped on to Championship Manager 3. Um, I got strong recollection, re- recollections of that, as well as Championship Manager 0102. And obviously, football manager. And then, unfortunately, that football manager relationship didn't last too long. Mm. But you know, okay. if, if if you put you know if you put me down and said pick you know pick one series, it would be Championship Manager every day of the week. Right. Yeah. I mean, point I want to make there is as well is wasn't it great in the nineties where you had choice not just about <laughs> management games, but like now we've got. You've got FIFA or Pez, you've got Football Manager and basically but nothing else other than the odd yeah. independent that starts up or there's a lot of like app games and stuff, but you're kind of limited to, to one of one or two of everything now, um, which is yeah. the way the markets have gone and obviously it's great in some ways because those games are the very best of the best, but sometimes they do, well, you do miss those days where, as you say, you could play Ultimate Soccer Manager, which was very different, but you know very gripping in its own way. Um, Obviously, things like the bungs and that you wouldn't get on any other game, um, and it's you know it's 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 kind of why we all love that era in particular because there were so many little quirky things out there, um, which you kind of you didn't know what you had back then, but now looking back, you think, God, it was it was just a different world, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember being a massive supporter of FIFA Manager, like I shunned Football Manager. I thought, yeah, I'm getting FIFA Manager because it's the better game. What well, naive fool I was, but. <laughs> Well, you're good for you for sticking to your guns, but uh, sadly, no one, <laughs> no one else agreed. <laughs> I think I had um, was it like a Premier League manager, which was obviously the, the official Premier League game or something. Uh, oh wow! I vaguely, I vaguely remember that. All these games you kind of played for like a month and thought this was the best thing ever, and then you always gravitated back to back to Champ one way or another. Certainly yeah. I did anyway. Um, so, if we talk about Championship Manager three to begin with. Um, now, when this game was was announced, I was so excited. Like I must have been, I would have been ten, going on eleven. 
and mm. I obviously loved the Championship Manager series and to read about Championship Man 3 and see screenshots of even daft things like being able to give you players squad numbers um, the introduction of reserve squads for the first time um, the fact that it went from the nine leagues we knew in 97-98 in, uh, in up to 15 um, all this sort of stuff was absolutely like the best thing ever as far as I was concerned yeah. however um, my computer was poor at best and it turned out it was oh, no, no. no chance of running this game um, which is kind of why 97-98 became such a big part of me because I, I got <laughs> essentially an extra year's use out of it um, <laughs> as it turned out Chapman 3 was, was a little bit delayed and it wasn't released until March 1999 um, which is obviously 18 months after 97-98 which is quite a long time in, in uh, yeah. certainly now it's pretty much annually on the news more or less um, so to go full 18 months meant that the following game was only 6 months later down the line um, Chapman 3 was the first one to have the sort of left-sided menu bar, um, which yeah. kind of st- is still around to this day, but obviously it's had a bit of a well, several makeovers in that time, but it was the first one to have the, the inbox, uh, and as I mentioned, squad numbers, reserve squads. The first one to introduce training, um, again, that hadn't been a thing until CM3, uh, and uh, there was also the, uh, the ability to do a network game, but this was <laughs> the late 90s where Okay. You're going online? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of the new leagues introduced, uh, Sweden, Norway and Denmark, which, as we've talked about previously, a bit of a cop-out to say there were new leagues. They were already in 1998. <laughs> they were just, you know, were only released in those countries. Uh, but, but they also added Japan, Brazil and Argentina, which, of course, everybody wanted to play in the <laughs> J-League in 1999. <laughs> uh, Ash, what's your, do you remember first laying your hands on this? If I remember correctly, I, I I think I got hands of it on a you know by playing a demo. Mm. If, um, I might yeah. be wrong, but I distinctly remember playing a demo of Championship Manager, you know, of that era, and I was so impressed with the demo that I went out to buy the game. Now I'm not sure if that's a false memory, but you know, <laughs> no, that's it's, it's very possible because what they used to do back in these days was they released the, the game on online. You could download it like a six month quick start, so you'd be able to yeah. save yeah. up for six months. And then if you bought the full game, you could continue your save on, um, which, again, doesn't really happen these days. But yeah. back, back then, I feel like there was like a stigma around buying PC games in particular because installing them was a, was a chore. Yeah. <laughs> and you wanted to make sure you, what, you were get, what you were getting was worth it. Because um, it was kind of like a, almost like a 50-50 hit rate now, house of whether things would work or not. Um, I bought so many games that just didn't load. Couldn't, couldn't install them. Ah, yeah, yeah. And it's... It's kind of a thing until probably the early 2000s. Uh, yeah. I mean, you'd, a game the size of Jumpman was probably never in doubt, but as I say, certainly in our house, because my computer was so terrible, um, buying any game was like, oh, we'll check the requirements first, and if it was any, yeah. anywhere close to being, uh, to being, you know, not runnable, it just wasn't going to happen. We weren't going to show, show 25 to 30 quid on a game that probably wasn't going to play very well. So <laughs> that was kind of how it was in our house. Uh, Ross, do you remember having Jumpman 3 at all, or...? Yeah, this is this is another one like like Ash. I, I would have got PC Gamer magazine, and like you said, like just re- I used to buy these mags just to read the little section about Championship Manager and what the updates were going to be and how the squads would look and stuff and how different it was. And then yeah, you'd get that disc and it'd have six months, and then that'd be it. Like Dad, you need to take me to a, a shop where I can buy this game. Like it has to happen now because I'm I've reached the end. It's like <laughs> I need to carry on. Yeah, uh, and- yeah. They were just brilliant. 
And I, I think, I, I guess, you know, we can't really understate how significant Championship Manager 3 was. I, in many ways, I think the game was at a crossroads. Mm. You know, it could have cut like an Ultimate Soccer Manager 2 or Prem Manager where you're not just a manager, but you're, you know, you're selling hot dogs and building stadiums. But no, they really stuck to their guns and made the game more sophisticated without, like, jumping the shark. Yeah. Um, obviously, it was, it was the first CM that didn't need DOS. Um, um, you you could also you know just play the game without the CD after you'd um, installed the game and then obviously started a game. Yeah. Um, but the database was absolutely immense. Uh, I think that really you know stuck stuck out for me. You get like you know players upon players that you you'd never heard. You know it really opened my eyes in terms of players that are available there. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I really it sounds strange, but the thing that re- I really liked about it was you could hire you know, assistant managers, mm. coaches. And the weird thing for me was I've had this original championship manager three CD in my cupboard or in my <laughs> loft, you know, it's for like 22 years. And then obviously, you know, with, with what's happening in the world, you know, you get more free time on your hands. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. Let's see what happens and how it ran in compat- you know, installed fine on my windows 10 computer um, ran it on compat- compatibility mode, and you know, it just it just brought back all those memories. And I haven't even got I, a CD drive in my, new, my new computer. I just bought. There's no driver discs. <laughs> exactly. So a lot of these games, they're gonna, you know, without the, without the drives in, in computers nowadays, you know, they'll just get lost in many ways, yeah. um, or it'll be quite, um, you know, it'll be fairly difficult to run them. But yeah. you know, luckily, I've got a drive. It ran, but for me. In many ways, CM3 is the forgotten CM because CM9798 and 0102 were so iconic. And for me, the driver, it sounds really bizarre, but I wanted to not only buy Maradona, but I wanted, you know, I wanted to see, can I make him a player coach or something like that? And then, you know, I didn't end up doing that. I ended up managing Real Madrid and been managing them for like nine seasons now. But it's just, for me, it's that halfway house between those two iconic CMs that really, you know, stands out in many ways and you know dave you've touched upon all some of the key features there as well um the fact you know it's not you know you, you look, i mean you look on your own timeline dave how many people are playing cm3 there's yeah. not many people well exactly so few um it's kind of the, the point i was making at the start where if you look at the community one or two is very well represented uh mm-hmm. is getting there we've got more people more accounts springing up pretty much every day now which is you know fantastic for the, the cm eight community but if you look at, you know, CM2, 95, 96, 96, 97, there's no one playing them. And the reason is really because, as you say, 97, 98 is the honed version of those games. And 102 yeah. is the honed version of, of, of this game. Um, yeah. And if you look back and you've only got maybe limited time, you're going to play the best available. Now, as you say, people have got a little bit more time at the minute, which is why more people than ever have, have had more requests for links to download 95, 96 than ever before. <laughs> um, a few people are dabbling in CM3. Um but generally, people are spending this time playing, you know, the, the best version of the of the certain game available, um, mm. which and is fair enough, I guess. I'm going to make a claim here, Dave. I feel that you know, CM3 was that good, right? That it literally laid the foundation stones for the CMs that came after it. You know, mm-hmm. 1990, 2000, 01, uh, you know, 2000, 2001, 2001, 2002. And if yeah. they, if CM3 wasn't as good as it was, then you know, they wouldn't. I, I, you know, I, I would question how fanatical people would be about future CMs. I think it was that good that it, yeah. they absolutely 
why you know from that upgrade from CM nine seven nine eight to CM three. Yeah, well, I mean, you're totally right, and they laid the foundations for the future of the game. They were actually a little bit fortunate with how it turned out because, obviously, as I said earlier, they, they, it took a little bit longer to get it released because they had a few few problems along the way in making what was essentially a brand new game. Um, and what they released was actually quite buggy, so you had to download a couple of patches to, to fix a few things. Um, yeah. I think this was the game where you could bid uh, for a player and then adjust it to zero to get him for nothing. Yeah. Um, which has been kind of a thing that's hung around Champman for a few years. So um, this was obviously exploited where, where it could be. Um, but again, that's also why the game only lasted six months um, before the new one came out, which was obviously all that and more. Um, which again is probably why it's a bit lost because you know you only have a game for, for a six-month shelf life. Um, say I'm 2000 came along in December '99, so just in time for Christmas. You know, it's an easy win, really. Exactly, and there was something that you said earlier about the game itself was quite slow. And you know, looking back, I do recall it wasn't you know fantastically fast. And maybe people don't have fond memories of it because you know the computers as they were then simply couldn't support the, mm. the database that it had. But now looking back, you know, not playing it now on my Windows 10. I'm just amazed at how fast it runs on my computer. You know, it's really fast. You know, yeah. because it's a million times quicker than FM is. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I love now that I, I can load, for example, Champ on a one or two. I can select every league and load it, and it runs. You know, like shot yeah. on a stick. It, runs, it can do, you know, days in seconds, yeah. which is you know fantastic. That's what you want to do. Um, yeah. I mean, to give you an example, when this game came out, I downloaded the demo because obviously I was having the, I wouldn't say an argument, but the discussion with parents. They're saying. You're not getting it. You're not going to work. And I was like, I'll show you. So I, <laughs> so I downloaded this demo, and my computer was so bad. You know, when you click continue and the the mouse pointer becomes a football, as <laughs> it didn't have the capability to make it a football. So it was just a black line. <laughs> and I only found that out like a few years later when the actual, you know, when I got a better computer and was able to play these games properly. So yeah, <laughs> they won. They won that round. <laughs> I would have played three for a lot longer than I think the six month lifespan because there's no way my dad would let me buy effectively the same game six months later. And yeah. this is also the time I was doing my GCSEs, so <laughs> this this is responsible for all my life choices post 2000. Well, again, it's quite a hard sell as well because 99-2000 came out and the new features were they added the MLS, which yep, yeah, still haven't played it. Yeah, I know, no one understands it, but it's there. Um, they had the ability to interact with the board, so you could ask for more transfer funds, bigger stadium, yep. better youth facilities, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you could complain to the FA about uh, the ref <laughs> and ask for postponements. Um, but they yep. also introduced the fine system, which again, everyone loved for a few weeks, where you could find players who were playing badly or you know didn't turn up for training. Yeah. But then you just started finding players because you didn't like them in real life, and then they end up losing. <laughs> Maybe that was just me. <laughs> Uh, just one comment on CM3, actually, um, and, I, you know, I'm talking about it in a fairly fond manner, but I have got a criticism of it right now mm. on my current state where, look, I've been Real Madrid's manager for nine seasons now. I haven't won La Liga at all, right? <laughs> I've won Cup Winners' Cups. I've won Copa del Rey's, um, you know, all sorts of other trophies. But, like, come on, realistically, if you don't win La Liga after a season or two, you know, you're sacked, right? Um, so that's one of the anomalies in in this current save. Um, but you know that's that's really the only criticism I have that I've been managing the same team for so long, and I've you know been I've literally dealt with like um, almost a billion 
pounds worth of transfer activity in that period as well. So, yeah, wow. it's nuts. <laughs> so, in your opinion, Ash, I mean, again, something that I think goes against these games is that if you say Chapman 97-98, someone will say Tommy Swindle Larson, Baggy Yogo, Bjorn Hyden's mm-hmm. you saw a 1 or 2 when you get Mark, uh, you get Cherno Samba, Tom Madeira, so on and so forth. Who were those equivalents in this in, in Chapman 3? I, it's a difficult one to say. Um, because I'm playing with Real Madrid at the moment, I'm literally buying, you know, the big names of the time. But yeah. um, one player that really has stuck out for me, a really random player who wasn't on the radar, his name's Kobas, C-O-B-A-S. Um, you know, played for Sporting Gijon, fairly average at the start. And all of a sudden, he's just picked up into this phenomenal man-of-the-match winning um, fantastic playing ball playing midfielder you know he's he's one who really it's blown my mind and i'm not sure if he's one of these cult players within cm3 but he's one that's really you know came out of nowhere um so that's the one name i can you know share without a doubt in cm3 but you know yeah did i see you also sign stan collymore at some point (laughs) i did he was my first signing at real madrid I wow. thought, you know what? I've got Nicholas and Elka here up front. Yeah, what, I need a... what you need is Stan Collymore. They'll get on like a house on fire. <laughs> on the place down a bit. <laughs> and and I've, got, I've got a strange story with him. So, you know, bought him. Um, wasn't as good a, as I was hoping for. But then, bizarrely, Barcelona bought him off me. Um, yeah, go figure. I don't know why they bought him. And then they sold him off to Leicester in the end. But, yeah, yeah, Stan Collymore and Nicholas and Elka. Maybe that's why I've not won the Liga after 19. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to start get a hint of why that might be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the point I was making is that there's, there's, no, um, there's no real cult heroes. I mean, obviously, you've, you found one there from the, the fellow from Gijon, but um, no one really has any, uh, any cult heroes from, from this particular game. Um, no. And whether that's by design or not. I don't know. Um, I have not sunk anywhere near enough hours into this. So I only bought this game a few years ago to complete my collection. Um, I, I never really had a need for it. Um, but I was looking at my the CDs on the shelf the other day and thought, yeah, it's the other year, and thought, well, I may as well, may as well complete the set. So it costs us a five, yeah. maybe. So um, what, what I do like about those is it's the first game where there's a lot of um, kind of Premier League stars of the future who appear for the first time. Um, yeah. Peter, yeah. Peter Crouch, Ashley Cole. Jimmy Bullard, um, many, many others. Just, yeah, there's a lot of them on there who were just 16, 17. It's very useful to have the uh, the reserve squads added. Um, and again, mm. I, I think I, I certainly managed my reserve team for about three weeks, and then the novelty wore off. Yeah, I don't want to go near them. <laughs> um, so we'll cover off the other two games, um, seeing as we're here. So 99-2000, like I say, the, the, the new features were few and far between. Fines, interacting with the board and the MLS. Do, do anyone, either of you have any, any great memories of this? No. No. Not really. No. No. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a guy called, maybe Fuller FM, um, who might have done a series mm. on this. I've, I remember seeing someone who's, who's dug it out. Um, I quite fancy just to try Euro 2000, to be honest. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. But uh, maybe maybe another another lockdown. Um, yeah. I think Dave, you alluded to uh, yeah, uh, you alluded to it earlier on the podcast. Actually, you know the fact there was a short turnaround between CM3 mm-hmm. and uh, 99-2000, I guess the uptake of people buying that next game wasn't that high. So hence, you know, 
why there aren't strong fond memories of that particular CM. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of it to do with the wanting to get back on track with when they release it. I don't know if they had any sort of deals on at the time of how if they charged less for ninety nine thousand or whatever. But um, mm-hmm. from a for a computer game for a football game, you want to be out, you know, that side of Christmas, or else you're missing out on yeah. the season, aren't you? So they were probably desperate to get back on track um, and left it as late as they could to do that. Uh, again, I, I did have the game this one. I remember playing it. Um, Newcastle weren't particularly good around that sort of time, but um, I still remember Silvio Marich might have been on this being particularly good, but again, I, 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 I didn't sink a huge amount of time into it. Um, so then the following mm-hmm. year, so November 2000, they released O-O-O-1, which again is, needs a catchy in name. Too many O's in there for me. Yeah, too many. <laughs> Uh, but they added 10 more leagues to this one, so you could now live the dream yeah. and manage in Australia, Finland, Greece, Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland, Russia, Wales, Poland, Croatia, and Turkey. And if that didn't sell games, Living nothing would. Only managing the Welsh Premier League. I know, everyone, everyone does Barrytown, don't they? <laughs> um, and they also introduced the date editor back in for the first time since 9798, if I'm not mistaken. Um, which again is useful. Now, what, one thing I do remember about this is that someone made a download, which I bloody loved, where you could download it and it would randomise every Premier League player to a different Premier League club. So oh, nice. you essentially, randomise your database. Which was. Oh wow. Which was. I, I mean, who comes up with this stuff? But uh, yeah. ah, that was a nice little thing you could download. That was from. Uh, the dugout. I don't know if anyone used to use the dugout, but it was like you know, oh, yeah. you know one champ manager resource website. Yeah, big time. Uh, I do remember O O O one because of the box. I remember having that one on like on display because it looked quite a funky background. Was this the blue one with the kind of? Yeah, like the solar flare yes. coming out from behind the mitre ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, it was a nice box. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Um, they also added the ability, which I don't think anyone's ever used, where you could, at the top when you start a game, it has a little button that says use real players, yes or no. This was the first one that had that, that button <laughs> and you can obviously select no, and it gives you randomised fiction yeah. players. Have you ever tried it? It's so weird. Well, I remember trying it once, and I was I clicked on a player who was the most valuable, and I was like, well, that's obviously Thierry Henry, they've just changed his name. Yeah, exactly. And I lost yeah. the interest after that, but... It's like playing Pez. Yeah, well... <laughs> Uh, what an odd thing to introduce. <laughs> like, at least do it properly. Isn't it? Uh, I don't know. But, I mean, the way, if Man United have the way, it's what's going to be the future, isn't it? <laughs> man Red. Man, man Red, or whatever whatever horrible nickname they'll get given. Like <laughs> the Zebras of Juventus. Newton Red. <laughs> I dread to think. I mean, that is ridiculous. We may as well talk about it as soon as we're here, but yeah. why on earth they've picked now to do that? Are you slightly concerned, though? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not concerned because I haven't reproduced anything. True. To my knowledge. No. Um, and I certainly haven't used that pesky logo, which seems to be the main grape. Um, what history have they? They went after the, um, the Panini sticker guys, didn't they, uh, last year? Was, I mean, that's so pathetic as well. Like, they're just, yeah. They're just good lads. Well, a man and wife, aren't they? But, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, they're doing no harm. Why would why on earth would you try and sue them? Oh, exactly. And then, yeah. Even their own fans can't be behind this. Like, <laughs> no. It's such a ridiculous decision. Yeah, I think the, the next day they, oh, they, they release some big 
charity thing, like to try and like take attention away from what they're actually doing. Yeah. Sorry, Ash, what are you saying? I was saying, I guess everyone's got free time on their hands to just get up to all sorts, haven't they? Unfortunately. <laughs> well, they should try playing some retro chat managers instead of suing, <laughs> suing Sports Interactive. Yeah. Morons. Um, I mean, I don't want to draw this out any longer than we need to. Does anyone have anything to say about, about any, either of these two? 99, 2000, 2000, 2001? No, I, think I played a lot of 01, so because of that, that was the time when Leeds started spending a lot of money, so that was kind of... It, it was fun to be Leeds manager there. It's been a really dis- disappointing last 15 years yeah, virtually you, managing Leeds. You must look back on this as a time where this was fun, but it wasn't worth the next 20 years of my life. I've seen days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not worth it, no. I, I do often wonder if David O'Leary goes back, do you know, did we need those fish? <laughs> <laughs> did we need Robbie Fowler? <laughs> so many questions. Yeah. I mean, Seth, Seth Johnson, he's all right, but that much money? Yeah, what, what can go wrong? He's a good player. <laughs> Yeah, well, so was Rocky Junior. But <laughs> things unravelled, and they unravelled. Were they also linked with Ronaldinho around that time as well, or is that like a, an urban myth? They were linked with everyone. Yeah. Well, <laughs> his wage demands weren't ridiculous enough, so he got he got uh, overlooked for you know Dan- Danny Mills or someone. But uh, <laughs> you know, it was a it was a tight budget at Leeds. Yeah. No, I mean. Yeah. Actually, used to enjoy being Leeds on 01 or 02 because they had, you know, a really... They had like 60 million, I think, there. It was their starting budget, and it was one of the biggest. Yeah, and you already had, like, Kiel, Viduka. Um, yeah. Obviously, Woodgate, oh, yeah. Ferdinand, Boya, mm. um, Alan Smith, who was, for some reason, godlike. Um, Michael yeah. Bridges, who wasn't, but was still there. Um, you know, it was it was a it was a fun team to be, but as you say, kind of was it worth it? <laughs> yeah, turns <laughs> out not so much. Yeah. No, well, so in summary, I mean, these three games, as you say, they, they shaped the future, but n- none of us have any any great memories of at least two of them, um, even though we spent yeah. an ample amount of time on them. Um, <laughs> the, yeah. they, they they've been overshadowed, I think, certainly by or one or two, which was kind of like all the good features of these three games rolled into one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, I say, we're looking forward to covering that next month, but uh, I am quite curious now we've talked about them to load one of them up and just see what, what see if I'm just giving them, doing them a disservice, but... Uh, yeah, I'm looking for downloads literally while we're talking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they were they were so similar, that's all I can say about them. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I don't really remember them being a distinct difference, but who knows? Yeah. Who knows? We'll st- we'll do a network game. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll roll back the years. It's what, yeah. it's what they would have wanted. 2001. Yeah. Network World Cup coming to <laughs> coming to a CM blog near you, eh, Dave? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> once I've once I've had some time off. Uh, right then, uh, let's let's leave it there. Ash, thank you for uh, for coming to reminisce with us about. CM3 in particular. Uh, where can people find you if they want to follow your uh, your retro times? Yeah, so um, catch me on Twitter at CM underscore hints for your retro and championship manager needs. And if by any chance you also play Fantasy Premier League, you can also follow me on at FPL hints, although I'm, I'm currently on a hi- hiatus from there because there's no live football. So yeah. <laughs> Well, 
kind of curious to what they'll do if it does come. If it's, me if it's meant to come back in a few weeks, um, obviously the, the official PL game's finished, kind of. But whether they'll reopen it or not, what do you think? I, yeah, I've, from the indications that that they've you know given through like official news, um, they will open it up again. But it seems as if it'll be like a game week thirty nine, hmm. game week forty, etc. And you know you, oh, you right. should have all your chips. Um, and obviously, you know, with, with so many games being played in a short space of time, there might be like these double game weeks or dare I say it, triple game weeks as well. Whoa. But just, it just, just remains to be seen how it will look like. But um, it, it seems as if, you know, for, for the Premier League and for Fantasy Premier League, it hasn't finished as of yet. You know, yeah. we don't know what's going to happen, obviously, come mid-June or the end of June. But um, yeah, it's just, it's just on this pause, obviously, due to what's going on in the world at the moment. Yeah, I hope it comes back. Um, I have to say I haven't, I haven't missed it because I probably get too into it, but uh, I couldn't imagine it not being there. If you know what I mean? So, and then yeah. If, if there's Premier League football, uh, it, it saves us betting on stuff because I'm kind of <laughs> gambling in a different way. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I hope it's. I hope it does come back. It would be a bit strange if it didn't. And as you say, the chaos of double and triple game weeks. Uh, you know, we live for that. Bring that. Bring that back on. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, one other thing I'll say is I, you know, when I play FPL, Fantasy Premier League, I play it with a championship manager, football manager mindset. You know, you can you can take me away from championship manager, but at heart I, I will always be a championship manager. So, you know, that's that's the way I play that game. Um, so, yeah. Is that, why had, uh, is that why you had back Yogo from Chelsea in your team last season just to roll back? <laughs> <laughs> Just the ball. Yeah, just the ball. <laughs> <laughs> he's cheap, he's really cheap. Very cheap, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great stuff. Well, thanks very much, Ash. Uh, it's been lovely to talk to you. And uh, we'll you, see mate. you for uh, the remainder of the uh, the CM Cup, which uh, you... what? Uh, when's this going out? Thursday, maybe? Uh, we'll yeah. find out if you're in the last 16 by then. Absolutely. Mm. Um. <laughs> 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 All right, thanks very much, Ash. And uh, now I'm off to chat to Chris Darwin. I'm joined now by Chris Darwin, who uh, you may remember from uh, features such as We Are The Managers uh, and various other championship manager things over the years. Chris, how are you, sir? Very good, mate, and it's always good to, always good to talk to you about championship manager. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, so Chris and I um, started to speak to each other shortly after I started the, the, the blog, uh, which must be maybe five years ago. And in many ways, it's Chris's fault that I'm still doing what I do. Because, <laughs> uh, because he took me under his wing and that's how the books came about. And then sort of I went with Chris and did some other projects, which Chris still does and I still dabble with every now and again. But we'll come back around to that shortly. Um, so Chris, we always ask whenever we have guests on. The first thing we always ask them is, uh, "What's your what's your history with the game? Where did it all start?" Oh God! Um, so uh, going all the way back to the beginning as a, as a probably early God early teenager, or maybe I was twelve. Hopefully I was twelve because that doesn't make it sound so old. Uh, I was probably eleven or twelve, maybe even ten, um, and it was the first ever first ever edition of championship manager and i'm pretty sure the first ever edition didn't even have real players and i think you might have to, to rather than wait for three hours for it to load up on the commodore amiga 
um, you could just do a quick start save, and that would always be with Barnet. So all of us, all of my mates were getting into the game, and we were all starting as Barnet um, on the first ever edition. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was Simon Saliger who, uh, who introduced me to the game. Um, so I, I, I should, I, I have, I think I gave him credit for some of the, uh, the, my, my future life because it all started from that game. And the, uh, the standing family joke now is kind of, my dad always used to say to me, lad, you are never going to get anywhere with your life. If all you do is play that fucking computer game. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, joke's on you now, dad, really, isn't it? Well, that's it. I mean, again, what I like about your story and, and, uh, Adam, who we'll speak to shortly is that you both started in maybe not the way you'd expect to get into where you, what you're doing today um yeah completely and you've kind of gone the long way around in, in some respects to get to, to where you are so um i like to say that you've kind of graduated from from writing about uh championship manager football manager into into the real world of football which oh is, completely yeah which i think it's, it's a wonderful story for, for anyone who is in a similar position to, to me maybe five years ago where uh, you have the itch to write but you need to find that place to get your audience mm-hmm. um the audience is out there. If you if you're good enough, you just need to find find something to uh, to captivate an audience, and then you can go from there. Which you, you've done, as I say, with uh, with many things. So, um, what was kind of the obviously you came to me with uh, the ideas for books and things, but you'd already written um, a couple of Championship Manager books yourself by that point. Uh, what yeah. was What was the motivation behind them? Uh, so I was um, so back in about. 2014 round around about this time of year 2014 so what around about around about may me, me and the missus have both sort of left our proper jobs shall we say and um we were sort of not doing much that's that summer taking a bit of a break and i woke up one morning with the uh with the sudden urge to write a book and uh, i think it must have been monday morning and so uh, the missus asked me so what was the book going to be on it's going to be on championship manager i declared somewhat somewhat enthusiastically complete complete utter blank face um sort of uh, understandably in in return and i sort of explained that what i was going to do is i was going to write a book that took all the silly little stories we all have in our heads when we're playing the game the press conferences the chats with the players the signings all that side of it and i was going to create a spoof diary which narrated the the journey of a season uh, for this completely fictional made-up manager which of course is me but more, more importantly, it was Johnny Cooper. Um, so that was Monday morning. And by the, uh, the Monday, two weeks later, this book was published on, on Amazon. Uh, and people, mentally, people were actually buying the thing, which was even, <laughs> even, even more crazy. And, and I'm proud to say more people bought it than just my immediate family because I counted how many sales there were in the first couple of days. And I don't know that many people. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was really cool to see that happen. Um, and the process really was a case of you're playing the save. And the, the, so, so Johnny Cooper took over at Mansfield. Can't even remember why I chose Mansfield, but it was Mansfield. Johnny Cooper took over at Mansfield and we, I started playing the season of 99-2000. Um, and, uh, yeah, the game dictated the narrative completely. I mean, everything that happened in the book was actually what happened in the game. And I got very lucky that the story was actually quite good from the, from the, from the journey of the season. It would have been terrible had Mansfield just ended up as a nondescript mid-tape side. Luckily, there is a little bit of drama come the end of the season, which, uh, which made it enjoyable to write about. And hopefully, maybe even lucky enough for it to be enjoyable to read a little bit. Yeah, um, I loved it, um, especially, as you say, the ending of the first book. 
Yeah, and so so yeah. So the first week really was playing and playing and scribbling it all down, and then the second week was typing it all up. Probably the third week should have been getting it proofread properly by somebody rather than just getting it on the digital shelves. But I didn't really worry about that too much. We we did sort of second and third editions where some of the words did actually make sense, um, and uh, and yeah, and, and and out it went, and. Um, <laughs> I got a call from TalkSport to go and talk about it on TalkSport, which still makes me laugh. Uh, I was on the Hawksby and Jacobs show, the primetime lunchtime yeah. radio show in the UK, talking about writing a book about bloody championship manager, which is just ridiculous. Uh, and then it led to almost enough people persuading me to do a second one. So, so we did the same again for, for book two. And then, honestly, life just kind of moved from there into sort of um the local english-speaking newspaper out here in spain um i convinced them to let me write a, a serious football column because i didn't think much of their writer who was doing it um already uh, that serious football column became a complete utter take the mickey out of the circus tongue-in-cheek um sort of look at the premier league which became no, known as tales from the top flight uh and from there just things have started to build and build and build and it all came from writing that first ever championship manager book yeah it's, a, it's an incredible story really like i said earlier it, it's a bit of a um it's, it's a great story for anyone who, who wants to get to where you are essentially um by just writing about something you're passionate in and believing in it and seeing where it gets you um what I wanted to ask you about was why, in particular, you picked Champman ninety nine two thousand against one of the one of the editions we've been talking about on today's podcast. And to me, it's it's kind of a, a bit of a middle of the road game in that it's yeah, know, it's uh, it's obviously all one or two is kind of the one from this particular series that everyone talks about and ninety nine two thousand. It's all it's there, and I seem to remember it being a perfectly good game, but no one necessarily goes back to it as much. Why was this one the one for you? I think it was. I couldn't do it on the first one because the the game wasn't advanced enough, mm. really, to get to get the narrative side of it as well. Whereas, obviously, as the the game sort of um, as the game evolved, you had sort of new snippets from different managers, and and the managers in there became a little bit more real with a bit more personality rather than literally just text text on a screen as they were in the in the previous iterations um after the first one and we evolved into championship manager two i was utterly terrible at the game and i mean to and, and as as I, as my results in any tournament <laughs> you invite me to enter will probably testify i am awful at, the, at some of those editions of championship manager so i'm guessing that this one was probably the first one where i kind of found my feet again and actually was able to win matches rather than lose them prolifically, um, which would have made for... And the, I mean, the worst-case scenario would be that you start writing this book and you get sacked within, within like the first two months, um, and then the book is kind of not really what it was going to be. So, so I felt that this one was one where I'd probably just about be able to, to get going. And again, actually, and part of the story is that, that Johnny Cooper does tweak with his tactics a little bit in the, in the early part of uh, his job, and finds a winning formula. And that was really me desperately trying to remember how I used to play this game and do quite well. And then the penny dropped again. I remembered the setup. I remembered the formation. And I remembered Anissimo Sanchez, um, who, uh, who then, funnily enough, did help us, help us improve our situation. So, so yeah, that was, it was the game that I felt comfortable in 
um, being uh, being not completely utterly rubbish at um, to make the story work a little bit. And honestly, I think I did regret a little bit not going in at o one o two maybe. But once you started, you couldn't really you couldn't really do anything about that. I don't know. I think I think it's got its, its charm that you, you chose that game. Like I say, it's not really one that uh, comes up that often. Um, you know, there's quite a big community for a one or two. So there's, mm. there's a growing one for '97, '98. Um, there's even a little one for you know the first editions. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, same Italian. And that. So I, I quite like that. It's it's kind of very niche in, in what it does. Um, plus, I mean, you know, for the reader you wouldn't necessarily know the difference between the two games. I don't think it really detracts anything. No, no, exactly. You're right. In terms of the actual story, then, yeah, it doesn't matter which which platform it was played on, really. I suppose one of the benefits, actually, of 99-2000 was the fact that we had the, the likes of Glenn Hoddle in there, but he was at a club where you could actually poke fun at it a little bit. <laughs> and you had Roy Evans. I think Roy Evans was at Swindon. On this, on this edition, I seem to recall. And, of course, Barry Fry's kicking around, and you can, you can never have too much of Barry Fry uh, in, in a championship manager story. So, so yeah, there was enough... That, yeah, there was, there was definitely enough characters. And, but then that was luck. I mean, I didn't go into it thinking, oh, that's all right, Roy Evans is in it, and I can poke fun at him. It's just the way it, it's just the way it came out. But, um, but, yeah, I was lucky in the fact there were some good characters that were relatable to people of a certain age, I guess. And, of course, as we went into the new millennium... They kept the characters changed. So, what I also enjoyed was uh, a lot of the staff, particularly the physio you gave him, kind of his own little backstory. Was that yeah. based on anything, or was that just you know pure um, your creative freedom really with him? It was just random shit that was going on in my head, to be honest with you, at the, at the time. Um, really weirdly, really weirdly, the Grippers, who are um, Dean Gripton, who I'm sure almost everyone championship manager related will will know of and he's still sort of heavily involved in in everything with football manager nowadays um he became our chief scout um because he was the best scout on the game i wonder why i wonder why that was um but uh, but now now we uh, with with the with the, the more serious real life stuff that we do on a daily basis um uh, uh, dean gripson's actually best well, one a really good mate with uh, with somebody who's heavily involved in our business nowadays so i'm sort of cringing at the moment that one day he might actually read or he might have done already but he's certainly not trying to sue me uh <laughs> he, he might read it one day and uh, i might have to explain that it will always just tongue-in-cheek and uh, and and, uh, and fiction and uh, a spoof, because uh, yeah, there were some interesting stories. Well, I, I think it'd be pretty harsh if you, if you just go down that route. But uh, I say it all adds to the story. I, um, I think it was uh, it was a good move to bring in things like the discussion with the physio before a match. Like, it's a type of thing you can thoroughly believe happening. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and the chairman. I I genuinely grew fond of this made-up chairman. <laughs> who I was giving a character to, and the sort of the, the, the fish and chips after the game and, yes. and stuff like that, all those little things. It's weird when you get deep inside your own mind, isn't it, with this game? The, the, these th- I mean, people, people do relate to that and those sort of things, those little superstitions um, that, that people have around the game. And it was, all, it was all real. It was all part of it. Well, exactly. And I think that's, uh, that's what, certainly what I loved about it, is that I could certainly from my background of playing the game these are all things that I've probably thought about but never written down and uh, then you you know coaxed me into writing them down a few years later so yeah. <laughs> it, was, uh, it went full circle really in that regard so um, after the books uh, you continued along the, the kind of 
blogging about Football Manager, and yeah. you've been quite heavily involved, and you were part of the, the TV campaign for, for We Are The Managers. Yes. So how, <laughs> how did this all come about? For those who don't uh, remember, this was the advert where... Uh, yeah. Was it... Was it uh, who was the professional footballer who did one as well? Was it Deli Ali? Uh, who did them? Uh, Carlo Cudicini did one. Um... Oh, who's the lad who used to play for Spurs, yeah, the winger? Yeah, it was a Spurs player. I can't remember his name. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Yeah, his name has completely gone out of my mind. Um, but yeah, he did one. <laughs> and was it, was, uh, it, was it Chudley? Yes, it was. Thank yeah, it was Chudley. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so yeah, he, he, so he did one, and a few other people, a few other people sort of did them as well. I think they even got Stuart Broad to do one, the cricketer, oh, or maybe it was Stephen Finn. One, one or the other. It was definitely a test cricketer that did one as well, which was really weird. So how, how did that come about? So um, me and the missus moved over to Spain. And part of the way that we located where we were going to go was that she gave me a choice of two, uh, two places that we could move to. Um, but we couldn't decide which one. So I was looking for a new football manager save at the time and decided to play as both of them um, on, um, on football manager and see which one I got promoted to La Liga first. And actually I only ended up doing one because I got Torrevieja to La Liga in something, some ridiculous short space of time. Um, so, so we ended up moving to Torrevieja. And then um, I sort of, as I normally do when, when we land in a new town, I see what the local football scene is. And it turned out that Torrey Vieca's club actually had a, a half British board. So it was kind of split evenly between Spanish and British. So I thought, that's interesting. Let's go and have a chat. So I went up to this fourth division Spanish football team and said, basically said to them, look, guys, I managed you guys on Football Manager and got, and got, you, into, got you into La Liga. I can probably be of some use here. Um, and I uh, got talking to the assistant vice president, oh, sort of the vice president. Uh, and, uh, yeah, eventually he invited, well, I say eventually, within about 48 hours, he sort of realised I was crazy enough to actually want to get involved in this club. Um, and uh, I got made, I, I became a director and I was particularly looking at the sort of the commercial side of it to try and help drive more fans into the ground and could we get a bit more of a public profile and, and all that sort of side of it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, so we did. And then uh, football manager got wind of this story. Um, somebody uh, wanted to see a, a test, sort of basically a, a short video of the story so they could decide which ones they were going to fly fly film crew out to do for the for the commercials, uh, and my story got picked up as one of the ones that they they wanted to do more about. I am not entirely sure that that Louis would be if Louis was being honest. Louis Miles, the guy who directed it, if he was to say that it didn't have anything at all to the fact that he was going to go to Alicante, um, and it would be nice warm sunshine for <laughs> days, rather than having to go and do another one in the East End of London with Spencer then uh, I'm sure that had nothing to do with the, uh, with the decision-making process for me, for me getting chosen. But, but, cho- but chosen, chosen we were, and, uh, and, and out they came, and we did it. And then you got that really weird, freaky situation where our little tin pot Spanish football club is being beamed out on Sky Sports advert breaks in the North London derby, the Manchester derby, the Merseyside derby. Um, yeah, really surreal, really bizarre. But again, started to build the next layer to uh, to, to what life went on to become. It's incredible, really, isn't it? How, how many doors this, this game opened? Um, not least, of course. That's horrific. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for this game, I mean, I was talking to Lee Scott, who's um, who who's our, our main man on Total Football Analysis, and we were talking about it the other day that ne- neither of us would be doing what we're doing today full time 
this is our income now. If it hadn't been for 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 playing football manager or for play, or even earlier than that, playing championship manager, of course. Yeah, yeah. So you um, you kind of made the bridge for me there. So um, you've gone from football manager and we are the managers to, as you say, what you do now is which is football is your full time job. Um, kind of living the dream of, of uh, make, making your money from from the real world of football. Um, but it's 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 been a lot of hard work. As I say I've, I've kind of been on the fringes for the last couple of years, but certainly in the early days. Um, you started this, this company up from scratch, uh, writing about almost satirically about football, and then it's gone on to what it is now, which is this very serious analysis um, with a magazine yeah. and obviously the website and things. And can you just tell us a little bit more about that and, and what it's what it's all about? Well, it was. Uh, you're right. I mean, the 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 next bit really was sort of the the tongue in cheek satire side of it, which uh, which then led to getting onto things like fan TV and and sort of that and it, it went from there that a media company then came and approached me saying look we'd like to buy your two websites which was the higher temper press which i'm proud to say at the time was a quite a well-known football manager website and tells from the top flight which was my sort of tongue-in-cheek take the mickey stuff but then a load of other funny people sort of contributing to it as well um they wanted to buy they wanted to buy those sites but then put me in charge of the rest of their websites and we and we grew that and we grew that to the point where um they they wanted to sell up um, and we raised some money to be able to buy those sites as a group so we didn't all then have nothing to do anymore because it would have been heartbreaking to see to see all our hard work as a, as a, as a group then just sort of disappear overnight. But then in a really weird turn of events, the, um, the company that we used to work for and were, were going to buy the sites from pulled out of the deal last minute. Um, so we were left with, what was it at the time, probably about 100 of us hundred of us writers across various different websites uh, and stuff, uh, but with no websites, um, but with some money to go away and put into, into building some new ones that we could all, that we could all continue doing what we love doing on. So within, I think it was, uh, this all sort of happened on Monday and by Friday afternoon as a group, we had launched 25 new football websites uh, with content going on them, Um, all looking somewhat similar to the ones that we'd all been writing for previously but that's the way life goes uh, and we were underway as ronnie dog media which was which was great and another little lovely link there was that ronnie was the dog who was in the we are the managers football video um who sadly passed away i think about a year and a half after that and i'd always thought well okay if i do ever get a chance to start my own thing we'll call it ronnie dog media uh, and and we did and then from from there really the first sort of like the first year of us being under our own under our own steam was about working out what we really wanted to what we really wanted to do. How could you actually make some money out of um, out of football media, which is quite challenging in itself, especially when you have to rely on so many page views to to make enough money from advertising to be able to pay people and and things like that. Which is always what I wanted to do is to get to a point where actually we could afford to pay people to write as opposed to begging, stealing, and borrowing people's time. To contribute for nothing like so many people have to do um and it became clear to me that actually data and statistics and tactics and all that sort of stuff was probably where a lot of football media was going to be going but not many companies had really started doing that properly yet so there was an opportunity for us and we started to focus a lot more on the tactical analysis side of it so lee and i then started to build out total football analysis as a website 
um, and uh, putting more on time and more effort into that. And unfortunately, some other projects did fall by the wayside over that time. I mean, the, the satirical side of things, unfortunately, um, there's not been much opportunity to do that sort of more recently, especially with no football going on, of course. Um, but then things like the football manager side of life sort of uh, did, did has sort of dipped away and, and things like and things like that. Uh, but no, we, we now focus um, completely, really, on on the the tactical analysis side of things. And I'm very proud to say that it is it is incredibly popular. And we now work with clubs, agents and players as well across the world, which is amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's happened in 18 months since we went out. No, that's a lie. So that's happened in just over two years now since we went since we went out on our own and took a gamble with a with with a couple of other people's money in the hope that we'd make it back for them at some point, which we which we have done. That's it's brilliant, isn't it? Uh, I say that the tactical stuff is. Uh... It's, it left me behind because it was it was too evolved for my little brain. But uh, <laughs> that's why I've got clever people who do it for me as well, mate. It's, it's too much for me as well. I'm still looking forward to football returning, so I can just go back to taking the piss out of the game. But unfortunately, I've got to do serious stuff at the moment because that's all that's out there. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I mean, as you say, the, the analysis stuff. It's uh, it's brilliant, and it's it's written in such a way that as even I can understand it. I can't write it, but I can understand it. Um, and it does make you look at the game a different way, um, which. Again, we all like to think we're experts, but uh, you know, you look at the effort these guys are putting in, and uh, all of a sudden things become clearer to you. Uh, and the, the latest thing, which is very, very impressive, is uh, the partnership with is it, is it Hot Mics? Am I saying that right? Where they yeah, 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 where, yeah. Where they're doing this all on the fly, which again blows my mind how they can think that quickly. I struggle to think yeah. enough talking to you, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite yeah, that is quite an exciting little project for us where we're able to. Um, where we're using this app, Hotmic, we're able to sync up with somebody's television and deliver them sort of live analysis uh, of a game rather than, and I always try and say this, and God, I hope I never meet these guys, uh, Martin Keown and Steve McManaman, who, shall we say, are a little bit more on the ex-player side of co-commentary rather than the in-depth tactical analysis. This is actually what's happening on the field of play analysis that we'd like to think we, we're able to deliver. So we're probably catering for a completely different audience to the masses, but there are enough people out there who would like just that little bit more than the guy sitting next to the commentator um, than talking about passion and what it was like in their day. Um, we, we can provide that for people now live in-game, which is, which is incredible, really. Mm. And how much of uh, what the discussion about tactically relates to how you'd set up maybe a football manager what, do you think you've seen a lot of similarities have you got like more of a respect for another right word but more of a uh, an understanding of how the, like the match engine might work now because you can see how a team you know uses a, like a full press or you know yeah yeah definitely I mean one thing you've got to give credit to football manager four is that although yeah there's always going to be a few things in the match engine that are going to raise eyebrows and you go yeah that's not massively realistic you also then have to look at the fact that probably 90 percent of it is incredibly realistic and if you do have a relatively good understanding of how to set the team up in the real world you've got a good chance of setting up a team to be pretty good on um on football manager and yeah of course it's, it's there's still it's still a game so it is there are going to be bits that become a little bit easier as that game matures at season after season after season but in terms of actually transferring real world knowledge into the game it does work 
but also on the flip side, so many of our analysts and so many analysts who've come through us and then got on to get work at professional football clubs, they started with Football Manager. That was kind of their first introduction to what tactics are and, and stuff like that. So the crossover between the two is still very much there. Um, and uh, I know, I mean, I, I know Lee will never forget his roots and I certainly won't. <laughs> In, in that respect, because if it wasn't for that game, probably wouldn't have thought about stuff like this at a certain time in life and then and then started doing something about it. Yeah, well, that's it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pleased that it, uh, it, it does bear some resemblance to the, to the game. It would have been a bit of a body blow if you'd said no. It's totally yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, mate, if you keep watching Newcastle, okay, and you can finally start to understand what the hell Steve Bruce is trying to achieve there, then you might be able to translate that into the game and get something that looks a little <laughs> bit like New, Newcastle playing at the weekend. Though why you would want to put that onto your computer and watch it there as well, I've got no idea. No, it's, it's a tough watch. Once, one, once you're on that loan, I haven't analysed it, but... Uh, yeah. Who knows? Things might get better. They might do. <laughs> um, right, Chris, I've, I've loved catching up with you. I say we used to speak very regularly, and now our lives have kind of gone in different directions because of, well, I had a child and you have a successful business, so. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do you want to swap? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> some days, yes. but no. Yeah, yeah, I know the feeling, yeah. <laughs> um, where, can, uh, where can people find you and all the good stuff you're up to? Well, in, in fairness, if, if people want to see the good stuff that gets done, then head over to totalfootballanalysis.com because that's where the, the clever people do stuff for us. Um, if, uh, if, if you just want to follow me posting random pictures of my dogs and saying nice things about people that do amazing stuff for, for Total Football Analysis, then ho- head over to Twitter and find me at Ronnie Dog Chris. Um, there are rumours of some kind of football manager stroke championship manager comeback but again, I'm, I can't confirm or deny whether that is actually going to ever happen. But, but there has been the first few words of Johnny Cooper 3 um, have been scribbled down in a notebook during this lockdown period. So, so who knows? Well, that's a teaser and a half, isn't it? Well, fingers crossed it, uh, it comes to fruition. And uh, obviously we'll, we'll be all over it if it does. But uh, Fantastic. thanks so much, Chris, for your time. No worries, man. And, and, I, and I'm going to say this in public so everyone can hear it. You have been absolutely brilliant with what you've done to the community. So please do not give up and keep pushing the good name of Championship Manager because without that game, then so much of this other stuff would never have happened for a lot of people. So it's really important that this game does get remembered for what it was, which was an absolutely phenomenal generational um, game for, for so many of us. That's very kind of you to say We'll have to go now before my head explodes. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, Chris. Speak soon. No worries. Cheers. I'm joined now by uh, writer, editor, podcaster, and author of football cliches, Mr. Adam Hurry. How are you, sir? I'm all right, thanks, Dave. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. And. Uh, Thanks again for uh, for joining us on uh, Champman on the Post. Um, My player. So, I know quite a bit about you, but let's let's assume no one else does. So let's <laughs> let's let's start with uh, how you kind of got into at the moment. I should say you're working for the Athletic. You've got a podcast there, which we'll come yes, on right. to. Um, but you're also a writer and editor there as well. So how did you go from Adam Hurry, the, the Championship Manager fan, through to, uh, <laughs> to what you're doing now? Well, the first step was weaning myself off championship managers to have my spare time back in my life. Uh, that was the first crucial step. But um, uh, like many people who 
who were a similar mind back in the sort of mid 2000s um this all started with a with a, with a blog um and it was a blog that i wrote with no expectation that anybody would read it um this, it was purely an extension of, of pub conversations which was specifically about um what football cliches kind of became obsessed with really which was the language of football the kind of strange words and phrases that we use but also expanding into kind of the, the mannerisms that fans players managers all do so it, it was just about taking 20 25 years of of football watching experience which which was no more intense than anybody else's but um kind of squeezing it all into into a very small niche which i which after a while i realized that no one else was really particularly um looking into so it, it was both it was both quite a cynical opportunistic thing but also a genuine a genuine interest of mine and for, and for years it was done purely for my own amusement um as i said the, the blog was, was started with no expectation that anybody would read it it was just something to do outside of work hours and uh, and that's how it was for quite a few years really um but then twitter came around which was a useful vehicle for this sort of thing and um and that gave it a little bit of uh, oomph behind it but uh, it wasn't for years that, that i really cared or envisioned anybody really reading it so at what point did you uh, did you think god this is this you know this is going this is going somewhere was it like a kind of sliding doors moment where you thought that, you know this is actually getting some traction um well twitter kind of grew quite naturally just because you know, the idea was, you know, it worked on a novelty level. People were, people were engaging with the, with the kind of language of football stuff. And, um, and I, I was doing plenty of writing on the side again, just for my own amusement. And then it just, um, just picked up a little bit of pace. I think it was around 2012. Um, I want, I, I won some sort of, I won a competition to go and cover Euro 2012, um, for it, they're not they're not a betting company as such it was it was a betting analysis company it was all very obscure but they had this budget to go and send someone to euro 2012 and at that point i i had um little idea of what it meant to write about football let alone to go through the motions of being a journalist so i went there very wide-eyed and i didn't cover it as a journalist i I simply got tickets to go to games and then wrote a blog about them afterwards and i travel around poland and the ukraine in 2012 and i thought you know what this should be quite fun full time even if i'm not I'd love, to, I'd love to, I'd love to, you know, sit up every night and write, write something about football for a living. And um, so it was after that it kind of picked up a little bit more pace. And and I, I hesitate to use the word reputation, but I can't think of it. I can't think of another one um, where it kind of opened a few doors just because it was a unique idea that no one else had written about. And at that sort of time, it was it was useful to have something yeah, a little niche that no one else was covering. So that's that that's what got my foot in the door. And then. Um, so I, I was freelancing for quite a few years and in between stints at the Telegraph. And I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the freedom to write about what I wanted. But at no stage did I realise that, did, at no stage was I under any illusion that it was it was all down to having something, a bit of a unique angle. This wasn't this wasn't pure talent. I, I don't read enough and, and I don't write enough um, to consider myself um, up there with, the, you know, even the medium, even the mid-table. But, uh, but I, I've... I've relied heavily on the fact that i care about something that nobody else cares about and uh, that's taken me taking me to where i am at least and uh, so uh, it's not pretense i genuinely am quite interested in it. it's not it's not just to keep the money coming <laughs> no i mean that's, i think that's why you resonate quite a bit with me because you know i would never say i was um a football uh journalist or for want of a better term but you know i have a passion about mm-hmm. something um 
it's you know, got nowhere near as, as, as popular as, as your stuff has got, but you know it keeps me ticking over, and I'm quite happy with that. Um, That's the important thing: is, is being happy with what you're producing. If, if at any stage you thought you were doing it uh, for, for the benefit of someone else rather than yourself first, then uh, then that's when you're going wrong, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, we, we, was there ever a plan, you know, to, be, to become a football writer or whatever you want to call it, or was this just, as you say, because of the, the cover in Euro 2012 and it kind of just grew from that? Well, I, mean, I was I was very comfortable in a, in a really boring job for about ten years or so, um, which was a very safe place to be, and I could have, I could have stayed there for the rest of my life. But um, this thing just kind of just grew on the side, and uh, it just it. Um, my book was published in 2014 and I was still in my job at that point so I was trying to juggle those two kind of projects at the same time and then when the the book was done I thought you know what if I don't do it now then I probably never will so I kind of took the plunge joined the Telegraph on a on a short-term contract and and that gave me a bit of a a platform to to find out how the industry worked first of all get to a few people and and figure out if this thing was really was for me and the first impression of, of the Telegraph office I walked into a newspaper newsroom expecting it to be full of very angry people throwing paper around and just being generally pleasant um, based on almost no information at all it's just that's what I thought things were like and um, it wasn't like that it was very calm very collective very casual and and a lot slower pace than I expected um, so it was it was good to get a, a very quick education on how these things worked uh, but yeah I quickly realised that writing about football um, for some sort of uh, payment is is to be sniffed at so I, I tried to kind of get in there as, as much as I could um, and yeah it's uh so I'm at, now I'm at the Athletic, which is incredibly good fun, and it's it's a it's a lot different to anything I've done before, and I'm 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 now re-educating myself in a different part of things, which is which is editing, which is not something I've really um, done, you know, properly before, yeah. and uh, and uh, it's it's good fun. I mean, it's the idea of it is it's supposed to be high quality copy, and it's supposed to be really good, interesting stuff. So it, that makes the editing job in some respects easier because you're, it's easier to engage with the with the stuff um, rather than the kind of often throwaway material that I've encountered and produced. I should I should add uh, <laughs> over the years. Um, uh, so yeah, it's 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 you know in my advancing years, it's nice to have another string to my bow, or at least coming towards getting another string to my bow. Yeah, well, you mentioned if you moved into athletic and that's spawned the uh, the podcast. Is this the first podcast you've been involved? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's what I always think's a good judge of a podcast is when I'm listening to it, I'm kind of nodding along, going, "Yeah, that's exactly what you know." It's the type of thing that uh, I I agree with a lot of the points that they said on there. I was just listening to the um, the most recent one this morning, which is about things you hate about football. And uh, yes. you know, every, every point was 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 a valid one. <laughs> it was, uh, I always think that's a, a good, well, that's, that, a good thing in a podcast. That's very much the um, that's very much the desired effect of the podcast. It, it, and, and I guess kind of football cliche, football cliches generally as, as a as a concept, it's it's this pointing out things to people who 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 already knew these things but never really cared about them and they were never really at the forefront of their mind. It just went in the background of their footballing consciousness, and they're just bringing it to the front and saying, "What isn't this?" tiny thing a little bit weird in this thing that we watch every single week and and i i I thought soon after i started athletic i thought a podcast would be a real kind of convenient angle to to kind of present some of that stuff um rather than in written form and i and just be able to chat through things and at at no stage of this podcast are we ever declaring that any of these things are hugely important it's just it's just you know, it's paraphernalia in football that I find really interesting, the peripheral stuff uh, that goes on almost 
alongside the main event that we don't really pay attention to. And a lot of it is throwaway, but, you know, football generally, you know, if you take it as a whole, it is, is fairly throwaway. It's, it's supposed to be a distraction, an escape. So uh, I, I only consider um, uh, the podcast and the material that we cover as an extension of that. But it's been really good fun so far and a, and a real um, eye-opener or perhaps an ear-opener, perhaps, um, into how these things are produced. I was I was under a how a podcast is made and they've all been sh- royally <laughs> yeah it, I mean, it definitely feels a feels a niche i mean obviously you'll know better than anyone that the, the football writing market is, is saturated with you know just what every, every angle's being covered but I, I think you've done a good job of finding something that hasn't really been discussed as far as well likewise yeah, well i had to dig well in the past for mine though yours is current and that's what we, that's what we like <laughs> only just <Jeff. laughs> um all right, so we'll circle back round to uh, to some of your your projects in a bit, but um, mm. going back to to why we're here today. So, championship manager, when did when did this all kick off for you? I was trying to I was trying to think about this in in the, in the lead up to this, and my, well, the first version I ever played was CM ninety three ninety four, and I very much doubt I would have played it that season when it came out, and I, and. It would have been my brother who would have got hold of it. He's a few years older than me, so he would have he would have gone out and borrowed it off a friend or bought it. So I probably I would have been playing it around ninety five, and at that stage, and I, and that would have been around the same time I would have been playing sort of the early editions of FIFA and, and things like that. So I'd have been perfectly happy playing genuine football games where you kick the ball around and you pretend to be a footballer. And so that's like so I've got no sneeriness towards that side of things, but. I don't remember playing it for the first time and going, wow, I'm hooked. It just became a habit. And it, and CM9394 is an incredibly simple game, um, even then, let alone now. And it was the repetition of kind of comforting um, changes that you could make to a team, you know, in a limited scope of things that you can really do. And it, and it, was, it was just sheer repetition of making your team really, really good and constantly winning because it, it's not a particularly difficult game, the first, the first edition. And uh, and that's what became quite an obsession. And me and my brother used to play it till like four in the morning and my mum used to come in and go, what the hell are you doing? And um, I, I feel like I feel also obliged to, to mention right at this very start is I, as much as obsessed as I was with the kind of first iteration of this game in the sort of mid to late nineties, I never got to the kind of cartoonish stage where I would put on a for a cup final. Um, and I know I'm always kind of skeptical about people who claim they did. Cause I just think, I don't think you did. I just, I, I don't think you need to sell your addiction that much. Um, for me, it was purely a solitary uh, obsession, much like how I consume football anyway. I, I prefer to watch football on my own and, and 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 suppress all the frustration and the anger and the and the delight and the joy all into one room by myself. I can't handle um, uh, watching it with anybody else. So uh, Championship Manager a little bit like that, really. Um, and yeah, so we used to play season after season after season, and it, and, it, and it was you could race through seasons of the game in about maybe uh, six or seven hours. So you used to rack up the seasons quite quickly. And so, so that was the first iteration of it, and that, and that gave you a good grounding in championship manager kind of culture. But then, then I guess when ninety seven, ninety eight came out, and um, which was the, it wasn't. I guess I think CM two was obviously the fundamental yes. change change in the format of the yeah. game. But ninety seven, ninety eight was where it was really kind of polished, and and that's one of the versions of the that have gone down in in kind of the purists history and uh and i remember i remember looking at that game for the first time and thinking wow this is so shiny and new and it, and we should also bear in mind that 
as good as a game it was, coincided with the explosion of the Premier League as a, as a proper deal. I think the first few, few years with the Premier League were really finding their feet. And then around 96 to 98 was when the big name foreign players started coming in. And, and if you've got big name foreign players in the Premier League, then naturally it's going to make for a better game that simulates the Premier League at the same time. And of course, they added so many European League to it. So this this just... Be, and, and for me personally... The late night, sort of mid to late nineties, relatively speaking, I would consider my sweet spot of footballing knowledge and intelligence. That was when I was paying most attention and absorbing um, football culture and knowledge much more efficiently than I do now. Now I'm very selective, and I don't have that time on my hands. I don't care. I, I don't, to an extent, I don't know or care what's happening in Ligue 1. I just don't. I just don't know. Whereas, whereas then, if you if you'd fed me that information, and you can only have got you would only have got that information through very specific sources back then because it was just the coverage wasn't saturated he tended to soak it in much more quickly and uh and that fed into the game as well so you were just surrounded by things that you either knew or you half knew and that and and that's what lured you in the idea that you could control the players that you you'd heard a lot about or heard a little bit about and that's the magic of it and um so 97 98 was just an extension of that but i have to say i don't remember playing that version to quite the same levels of intensity as I did 93-94. It was only when um, CM0102 came around that I really I really began to obsess about it again. And and I maintain now that that, that particular version of Championship Manager is, is just the right amount of complexity for me, you know, generally speaking. That's about as much control as I'd ever want to have over a set of players or a, or a training regime or anything like that. Uh, when I when I see glimpses of the new versions now or in 2010, it's because I just think that must be so hard to get into. And people cl- people assure me that it isn't. It's not that difficult. And you know, I see loads of thick people playing championship manager now. Oh, sorry, football manager now. So I think it can't be that difficult. But I just I'm ne- I'm never going to play it again. I'm never ever going to play it again. Not the new one. Not the old ones. Not the old ones with new data. I'm not going to do anything like that again. I simply can't do it. It's, it's not about. It's not about, it's not, you know, to use a, a good analogy, it isn't like someone lapsing back into drugs or anything like that. It's it's just, I feel like it's, it's served its purpose in my life and I look back on it fondly and I look back on those hours spent into the, into the wee hours of childhood and university and all sorts of stuff, playing one game on my own and, and that's where I think where I want to leave it. But uh, I have full sympathy with anyone who's spending hours on it now. Yeah, well, you made a good point there about a <laughs> one or two um, being kind of the most the most polished version. I think that's probably got the, the highest representation of kind of a fan base, if you like, that's still playing it today. It must do. Nice, seven, eight, it's it must do. doing all right, but uh, it's you know I think it pales in comparison to the amount of people who have uh, certainly in lockdown have fired up a one or two. It's, uh, it's an incredible amount of people. Um, yeah, well, I think ninety seven, ninety eight was perhaps the kind of the first glimpse of, of real tactical kind of sophistication because obviously in 93 and 94 you could move your players forward a bit and, and there were a range of very very standard um formations available but 97 98 was when you could start moving players diagonally and things like that and 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 you know it ties in with what i said before when you knew these exotic players a little bit more and there was a, a vast array of players available to you you cared a little bit more about what you were doing with them especially when you were paying 15 million quid for them it sounds quite possessive but that's that's kind of how i looked at it and um yeah it was just a more sophisticated game in every sense of the word 1998 so i think i think the, the tactic aspect um of it was where it really started to really grab people and it became a mainstream thing i think 
Yeah, I think it was all great timing from the way they, they released these games with um, obviously mm-hmm. Channel 4 having uh, Italian football in the mid-90s. Yes. Obviously played a big part in it. And as you say, um, a lot of these players in sort of European leagues, people knew a bit about them, especially following Euro 96, where even like the most mm-hmm. casual football fan became an expert for a month. You know, it's a bit like when, when Wimbledon yes. was Italy, everyone watches that for, <laughs> for two weeks. Exactly and then, right. And they know everything about the game. But I think that yeah. uh, it all played in their hands. It was, you know, it couldn't have been any better timed in that regard. Um, pick up on another point you made about wearing a suit. Um, <laughs> I have done it on one occasion, and in my defence, we, really? we lived in a student flat, and we had a network game because we you know we were that cool. Um, and uh, I made a cup okay. final, so I put on a tie and a blazer, um, which I think okay. is good. Nice. I think under those very specific circumstances, <laughs> I'd probably allow it because because there's a level of there's a level of detachment there, ironic detachment that I would just about allow. And uh, if you're going to indulge in ironic um, detachment, then uh, university is the place to do it. So in, in those specific circumstances, I will let you off. Well, to, in my defence as well, I mean, I made the Africa <laughs> Cup final with Arsenal and uh, I, had, I had Antoine Sibierski leading the line just because it was a non, mm. non-running joke we had. Um, so yeah. I wasn't not going to you know, give the occasion the, the respect it deserved. What, what, what made you choose Arsenal? I'm, I'm very interested. One of the... One of the real fascinations I have with Champions Manager is how people choose their teams in the first place. I, I never really haven't really detected a pattern among people who talk about it about why they choose their teams. So I'm interested to know why you, a Newcastle fan, would have chosen Arsenal in your game. So this would have been 2008, and I say there was, there was three of us in this flat, and we started out as the three promoted clubs. Um, I was Sheffield United. I can't remember who the two lads were, but. It must have been something like let's see, that right. is classic classic multiplayer strategy yeah, exactly. and I, I fully approve Redden and somebody else and it was really hard Adam mm. like, we were, mm. we were, I think all three of us were in the bottom four or five so we went, <laughs> you know what let's, let's go to the other end of the table and we went for three of the top end clubs so I was Arsenal one lad was Man United mm. and the other one was Liverpool um, and then that I guess this is the thing about multiplayer games is you can't make it too challenging, otherwise it becomes quite boring for you to all kind of juggle the duties of making your team good. So if you all start with good teams, you can kind of make it a bit more arcadey, I suppose. Well, that was it. And then I think we, we later had one where we tried to be playoff, uh, Division 1, like playoff contender teams, and that was all right, but that was the peak when we were Arsenal and such. But it's yeah, it's, sure. uh, it's a time where I couldn't go back to doing it now, um, for, for, <laughs> for, for many, many reasons. Um, but, but uh, you know, it, I, I'm a bit with you on that one. It's kind of served its purpose. I always I always get the new football manager every year just to say, I've got it, really. And I play, yeah. I play one season on it, and then I go, you know what, that was hard. Let's not do that again. And we re- I just, I cannot, I can't imagine how difficult the latest versions must be. I just, I, to, to a certain extent, it's kind of, it's, it's jealousy that, the, uh, you know, a kind of mini generation ahead of me know way more about at least in theory at least in in a in a football manager context than i ever will and i and i kind of i just think to myself if i picked up a copy of that game now and started playing it i will be like one percent of the way there and i have no i have no desire to make up that other 99 percent. it's a little bit actually it's a little bit my brother started playing golf about uh four years ago uh, having never really played it ever before, and he got he's, he's got quite good at it quite quickly, and and in it, if I follow the pattern of the rest of my life, I'll probably take up golf as well and and try and play with him. And I just look at golf and I just think that looks really hard, and I have got the patience and I haven't got the self discipline to oh, get yeah. good at it. And the the exact same thing applies to football manager now. I I, I see it like golf. It's I don't care about it enough to get good at it, and I will happily 
play my mid nineties version of Crazy Golf instead, <laughs> and and leave it at that. No, I, I totally totally get you both on the game and golf. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Um... <laughs> I think time is kind of a precious commodity. I think well, I don't want to. I don't want to spend time doing yeah. what I'm no good at. <laughs> uh... Oh no, completely. <laughs> yeah, I refuse to do things I'm bad at. Absolutely refuse. And and yeah, I haven't got time for self improvement. <laughs> do you um, do you have any any players you hold dear to yourself because of Jump Manager, or is it all just been I... forgotten over the years? That was. I guess that that's a weird gap in my kind of. Um, Championship Manager playing experiences. I, I never really held players dear to my heart in in the same way that others do, and I, I, I obviously I know about the, the cult players and the, and the kind of random obscure players that became stars in the game, and, and and there's good reason for that because people constantly signed them and they became great. I I, I mean I for example, uh, like I, I think I remember signing Cherno Samba, but I don't remember him particularly good for me. So so the kind of myth of him has never really kind of Got really, I've never really appealed, really appealed to me, but I, I, I never signed Tonton Zola Makuka either. So I kind of, I, I don't, it certainly wasn't a conscious thing, but I tended to kind of avoid these cult heroes. I don't remember any of those. Um, I, on sort of 97, 98, 01, I, my, my, my kind of habit would have been to start with division team and work my way up to glory from there. Mm. So my, the players I would have held dearly would have been more, sort of more lower league bargains uh, i guess um what's it, is it michael duff of course oh, cheltenham yeah. um who is obviously in the pantheon of of championship manager cult heroes so he was he was a classic signing for me and the sort of a handful of cambridge players i remember being really good um but because i played the game for so long i, I th- um, at university it was it was um incredible for me that you could get championship manager on your xbox um, so I had 0102 on my Xbox, so so that opened up a whole new avenue of playing it for 13 hours on air, and obviously because the speed of the game meant that I got to sort of the 2020s quite quickly, and so by that point it was all made up players, and and I, I wasn't I didn't really understand the concept of regions just then, but looking back I realised I probably had um, the uh, the digital love child of Torres up for, up front for me for Brentford, um, winning sort of European Champions Leagues in a row, and I and I look back and I think that must have been him. And so I guess I I was kind of, I think his name was Fuentes, I think it was, and uh, yeah, I I don't know, I I, I yeah, there's no real player who really, I really look back and think, wow, yeah, I loved him uh, at all. Um, because uh, I had two modes of playing Germany Manager. Either I did it properly, that is, start low down and, and take your team to, to, you know, unrealistic glory, which is everyone's kind of yeah, yeah. story. Or I was just a, um, a flat track bully, and which was, you know, on Championship Manager 93, 94, I would take someone at Newcastle, who I chose simply because I liked their team colours and they looked good on a screen. And I would add three other managers, sell my Newcastle players for lots of money, and then go out and sign as many players <laughs> as I could. And... And I didn't think of it as cheating. I didn't think of it. I, I thought I thought of it as world building. As as uh, you know, I wasn't playing against anyone else. So strictly speaking, I wasn't really cheating. I, just, I was I was just simply breaking the game. I just thought it, it was me as hacking away at the game. I thought it was really good fun. In fact, one of the lowest points of my uh, my championship manager existence. And I think this would have been ninety seven, ninety eight. I'm pretty sure. Memorable would have been in um, in one of our very very long running two-player games going into sort of season after season 
where we st- we would started in Serious C or something like that. And um, one one during one session, I we must have minimised Championship Manager so to, to put some music on or something. And as I minimised Championship Manager, up came the data editor that I'd been I'd been uh, secretly. Um, <laughs> Um, using to improve my team and I think it was a live data editor as well which is was the lowest of the low which is basically means you can edit your players in the save as well not just from the start and I don't think our relationship has ever recovered from that actually um, it was just basically me admitting that I just couldn't beat him at championship manager and, and there it was this data editor and it took him a few seconds to realize what it was because he'd never seen one and he, he just went oh my god you're making your players artificially better as we play the game and I said yeah yeah, I just hate losing. I really hate losing. I hate losing to my brother most of all, but I hate losing to anybody. And so, yeah, yeah, I don't think my uh, my championship manager kind of reputation got any lower than that. But um, but yeah, so so after that, it became a purely solitary experience just playing championship manager on my own for my own enjoyment. Sad story, really. Well, I agree with you though. I mean, <laughs> you don't you don't play these games necessarily for the realism, as you say. If you get enjoyment no. out of it by by winning and winning well, then you know. Who's to, say, who's to say that's wrong? It's, uh, it's, it's, I, I just I can't imagine, say, playing Championship Manager, any of the versions. I can't imagine playing them for, say, 20, 25 seasons and just hanging around in mid-table in, say, the second tier of any league that you've chosen to do. I mean, I, I can understand the romance of just being a journeyman on Championship Manager, but personally, I'd, I'd either not play it or win the Champions League 10 seasons in a row after taking my team there. I just can't imagine kind of a middling existence because that must be quite hard to be mediocre at championship manager because the longer you play it the better you're going to get so anyone who's still mid-table after 20 seasons i can't i don't think i've even heard of anyone being like that surely the game isn't designed for that to happen otherwise you'd get sick of it wouldn't you you would think i, I mean i've never thought about this before no like no one wants to be like the Tottenham of the 90s where you just oh let's push for 90 <laughs> like, it's, it's not really how you why you play these games i've only but... I just I've only ever heard stories of people winning Champions Leagues with sort of Wickham and stuff. I've never heard of anyone saying, "Yeah, do you know what? I took over Villa and we're still mid-table after 25 seasons." I've never heard it. I'd, maybe that, I need to know if there's someone out there who's actually played their Championship manager like that, where they've kind of deliberately kept their team mediocre for just purely realistic reasons. I'd love to know. I'd love to know if there's any players that like purely to keep the financials in check, like because they've got the <laughs> yeah. they've been mid-table, but the balance sheet was oh, fantastic. You know, there was never I, a, I, never a pound of debt. <laughs> Oh God! In all my years of playing Championship Manager, Football Manager, no, I, I, I have to say Championship Manager because I've never played it in its current iteration. I um, I've never looked at my accounts once ever. Um, it was for two reasons. In the very early versions of the game, no matter how much debt you went into, every sort of three or four months, the board would just inject cash out of nowhere to keep your club running. And it was just—it was just a silly amount of money for a, a club that size. It would be six figures for a, for a club in the in the lower in the in the early nineties, which was, which was very unrealistic. FFP would have a lot to say about um, that practice <laughs> now. And then, um, and then for the later versions, ninety seven, ninety eight, and oh one, oh two, the games were just about easy enough for you to reach the top quite quickly, so that it would it would kind of pay for itself. You'd be, your team would be so successful and you would end up with a stadium of about 200,000 seats and, and, uh, and the money would roll in. Actually, that reminds me, I, um, I created my own team on 97, 98 using the editor oh, yes. and put all my best friends in. Oh, yeah. and we, and, um, but not even in a slightly realistic way. I, I gave them everybody 20 out of 20 for everything and gave myself a 200,000 seat stadium <laughs> and uh, garish colours. And uh, it was... It was comfortably, 
the most effort I've put into a challenge manager game to, to get it started, and yet the least satisfaction I've ever got from it because it was just it was just absurd. We were all brilliant, and uh, yeah, a really odd experience. A really odd experience. I also did a similar thing where I moved all the Premier League clubs out and put all non-league clubs in, and just obviously left Newcastle. <laughs> and, and obviously, I won the league playing <laughs> against like, okay. but I didn't have a hundred percent record, which I think looking back, quite sad. Like. I must have been. I must have been <laughs> terrible. I mean, I must have been maybe eleven at the time, but still, like, I'd like to think eleven-year-old me could outfox Bishop Auckland, but obviously not. Yeah, <laughs> but I think of the administrative effort that goes into doing that. Fair play to you. Well, sometimes you've got to find a way to win. Obviously, yes. Need, oh yeah, tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, would you say any of your experience of playing with Jumpman has um, has helped you in your in your, your movement football writing in terms of um, I find that because I've played against a team from Liechtenstein mm. in a cup winners cup qualifier twenty years ago, I now know that that, that city's in Liechtenstein. Like has that ever come up or is it just all anecdotal? Oh completely. Um championship manager and football manager broadens your geographical horizon like nothing else it might it might only be in a kind of trivial context it, it might just do you a favor at a pub quiz every now and then but generally it it it, it helps with like holiday destinations i swear knowing just it helps with languages and sort of knowing patterns of names so someone will say i don't know we'll give you a first name and you'll go oh yes i believe that's a romanian first name <laughs> and, and you'll know this purely through through trawling through lists of free transfers, the 363 pages at the start of every season for championship manager. These things matter. And and I, I think it's quite a healthy thing to know. It's it's healthy thing to know about places and names and languages and, and all sorts of stuff. And and if that's one of the byproducts of playing championship manager for hours on end, year after year, then then so be it. Because it's, I think, a healthy thing to know. So, yeah, it definitely has broadened my my knowledge about places and dates and things like that, no doubt. But whether it's helped me with my football writing, I'm not entirely sure, but I need all the help I can get. <laughs> um, well, speaking of your writing, actually, to go away from Chapman for a second, there's one piece of writing of yours that always sticks in my mind, and that was um, when you went around Japan looking at various oh, yes. retro kit shops. Now, Again, something that resonates with with uh, with me about yourself is that you're delightfully retro. Like you, you like a lot of old stuff, like I do. So um, yes, yeah, definitely. Would you like to just quickly regale us with the story of the search for Gary Lineker's uh, Gambit Saga top? <laughs> you made it sound like I deliberately deliberately went to Japan on this on some sort of football shirt quest, which I'd love to say was true. It's actually it was my honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> so we were in Japan for um for two weeks and. Um, and it and I had no knowledge of this place, uh, of this, sh- and we were walking. I think we were in, I think we were in Osaka at the time. We were walking down the street, and my my wife pointed up and saw this win- fairly small window, nondescript window. It could easily have been a flat, and it was, and it had some football shirts, and it really sort of brightly coloured football shirts. She said, "Oh, you'll be interested in that." And um, up until that point, I'd been into a couple of department stores and looked at a few current J League shirts, and and they were very garish. But I thought, you know, what? I'm not that much of a hipster or even a you know quote marks hipster i just i you know I, i'm not gonna buy a shirt simply because it's an obscure one just for a souvenir and i, I didn't want to spend my money on it but we saw this shop and i instantly realized that they were old football shirts i didn't think much of it then and then i thought well, i better look it up so I, I looked it up and instant 
treasure trove, uh, this kind of impenetrable Japanese website. <laughs> and um, I, I, I clicked around trying to find where are the branches. And, and there was a couple, there was one in Osaka and there was, there was about four in Tokyo itself and then a couple of, a couple of others elsewhere. So I went straight down there and the, and the first with, with fairly decent expectations having looked at the website. And then I went into this tiny shop and the first shirt I was presented with in front of my eyes was Nigeria's world cup kit from 94. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I thought, Oh my God. And it was in pristine condition as well. So covered in cellophane really. And they look after them really well. And I just thought, Oh my God, this is the greatest moment of my life. I'm going to have the best best time and we were walking around so we walking around the shop and these shirts sort of really really well organized into i think it was geographical regions and leagues and i was and i made sure and this this shop would have been the same size as like an average agents really no bigger than that and i was flicking through every single one because i thought if i fly back you know tens of thousands of miles and i and i uh, haven't looked at every single one of these and i've missed out on the one i in the back of my mind i probably want that i'll be devastated and so at that stage i had no no image in my head of what i was after no shopping list in my head i was just i was just going to keep flicking through all these shirts with um five figure price tags on them but it was in yen so at that stage i had no idea and i didn't want to look on my phone just in case it ruined my illusions so I was just flicking through these shirt after shirt after shirt, and there was sort of loads of Brazilian mid nineties Brazilian clubs, loads of pristine Serie A shirts from the late nineties, and random Premier League shirts, sort of I don't know, I don't know West Ham away from ninety four QPR, and just thought, how did you get these? Where on earth have they come from? Because I was used to I was used to kind of classic football shirt websites over here. And and the format was pretty simple that they they were collectors items and they only had one of each and and they were and the more obscure they were the higher the price and it was all it was all very kind of rare stuff but here it just felt like they they had every shirt that you could possibly dream of and it was in great condition and I had no idea where they got them from and and the guys that were working in each of these branches were just sort of um, sitting quietly behind the counter just going yeah i know the shop is amazing and uh yeah they were kind of used to it but they must they must be sick of people like me just rocking and going oh my god you guys you guys are the best <laughs> so um so uh so i picked up like maybe seven or eight shirts knowing that i probably had at least three too many <laughs> and my wife looked wife looked at me and, and spoke to me like i was um a kid buying sort of their first toy and she was like are you sure that's the one you want yeah <laughs> using that sort of language so i thought okay i'll have to whittle this down so i, so I maybe put two back and uh i kept sort of denmark away in 1986 for my brother for a birthday present and and so my haul was narrowed down to basically away kits from the world cup of 1994 which is a personal kind of zenith for me for football kit design and so I had Romania away with Hadji 10 on the back and, and it couldn't have been in better condition to the point where I thought maybe these are, you know, probably good fakes, but I just, I just didn't get that vibe from the shop. There's nothing about it that make, that, that makes it sound too Bob or, or not legit. The whole thing is very, obviously very carefully curated, but I just, I just don't, I still to this day do not understand where they get all these shirts from. And I got Sweden away with Brolin on the back, oh, nice. uh, Germany away with Klinsmann on the back and oh, and then um so I bought those and I was thoroughly pleased with myself and, and I just thought this is great My, this is the best holiday in the history of holidays and then um we went 
and I think it was about two days before the end of the trip. I said, I've, I've got to go to one of the other branches. We've got three hours spare before we fly home or, or, or do something at night. So I'm going to jump on the train and go on to these branches. So I went to this separate branch in Tokyo, took about 45 minutes on some very random train line to get there. So I turned up in that shop and it was, it was a completely different set of shirts. It had moved away from the international context and was now into kind of more obscure club territory, which was just a real kind of real obsessive, um, avenue and um so i started flicking through and, and i was into the japanese section i thought you know what What if they've got nagorpa's eight from when lineker played there because that would be to me that would just be the ultimate it would, tick, it would tick all of my boxes it would be a player i really love from an era i'm you know i feel most safe and knowledgeable in and then with the added exotic anomalous twist of his sort of two seasons in the j league thrown in as well so that so i found it and it and it, and it was from the right season and it had number 10 on it and they didn't have shirt names uh yeah didn't have shirt names back then so it didn't have linica on it but it had number 10 on it and it and it, and it to, my first instinct was i wonder if this is his actual shirt that he wore it was about the right size i thought wonderful what if i'm buying the one he actually bought and they, they saw how excited i was and so they just took a picture of me holding this shirt up in the shop and then put it out on their Instagram because they, they, and and they just said look, look how excited this guy is to be buying in the Goya Grandpa Sage shirt. And uh, I think on average, each shirt probably cost me about just over a hundred quid. But I, just, I didn't I didn't think of it at the time. I just thought this is an opportunity I'm never going to get again. And and I'm I'm sure now that I never will again because I've I've never seen or heard of any other shop like it in the world. And they've got about six branches in Japan. And every time someone says they're going there, I say you have got to go. You've got to go, and it, 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 it's quite sad, and pathetic that football shirts should should inspire that sort of emotion in someone. But it really was. It, it was like it was like going on YouTube and stumbling across a cartoon from your youth that you hadn't seen for twenty years. It, it was that very, very precise sense of sense of warmth that just floods through your body. And that's what I got when I was looking at all those shirts. And and they're, and they're still sitting around in my cupboard. Sometimes I wear them for five sides. Some of them are too big for me. Some of them are too small for me. And uh, I shouldn't own football shirts. I, 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 I'm, I'm in my late 30s now. And I, I, I simply should not own a set of football shirts. But, yeah, I do. And there they are. And I'll always have them. And they're all in great condition. And I'm just, I'm just happy that, that, that I've got them in my life, frankly. And that's, that's the story. Well, exactly. I think it's brilliant. Um... <laughs> I don't know about you, but for years I've kept every like every good football shirt that Newcastle have released, or yeah. have accrued from anywhere. And I've always said, oh, you know, when we have kids, I want them to wear them. And now we're getting to the point where, <laughs> in a few years' time, we're going to really put that to the test. I mean, yes. Will my, but, will, um, my will my son want to wear Ireland's home shirt from the 2002 World Cup? I guess we'll find out. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's a hard thing to get over. I mean, I suppose. It, this is, your your example is a perfect one. It's a hard thing to get over that a whole generation of people just simply don't care about the thing that you really care about as much purely because it's 20 years later. It's 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 hard to overcome the obstacle, but once you've made your peace with it, it it's fine. And you know what? Even I'm sort of slowly getting over the 90s now. I, I, I used to be obsessed with it. I used to be obsessed with 90s because it was just the sweet spot of being brilliant to watch and exciting, but also slightly hard to access. You know, not everyone had Sky. I didn't have Sky. I had to go around other people's houses to watch it. That was it. Was that it? Was that sort of out of arms length 
kind of context of it, which is why I still love it now, because I, you, looking back on YouTube and you're seeing great football and great players that you whose names you, you remember very vividly, but all presented in sort of low res video. And you have to really search to find it in many cases. And that's what the appeal of 90s football is to me, because it's just out of reach. Whereas if I wanted to be if I wanted to be interested in in global football in 2020, um, assuming football was just being played, I wouldn't have to look very far. I wouldn't have to look far to find the players and the information. So I don't think it's a very year dare thing to say but it's, there is no mystique left there's no mystique left in continental football anymore because if you want to become an expert in it you wouldn't have to you wouldn't have to spend much time because all the information's already out there from other experts whereas 90s football you could kind of carve your own way through it and because there was so little information available and um and and that's where nostalgia works for me now i don't rely on it too much but it's always there if i need it yeah no that's a, that's a fair point as uh, mm. things have become more accessible okay well, i mean i don't know about you but I probably watch less football now, ironically, just because if I'm watching a game, I've got one eye on Twitter or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you probably take in less that way, whereas I could have watched, 100%. A match, could have watched a match when I was, I don't know, 11 or 12, and I could probably still tell you stuff that happened now. Um, yeah, Because I was just totally interested, but it's just the way the world is now, isn't it? Everything's everyone's got a short attention span for various reasons <laughs> yeah i i always I, I cite the kind of short attention span thing but I, I wonder if that's kind of telling the whole story i just i just wonder if it's simply i don't love football as as deeply and innocently as i did back when i was say let's let's say when i was 13 when euro 96 happened and euro 96 over the years has has gathered this sort of secondary reputation of simply not being a very good tournament which i perfectly accept if you look at it on a, in a cold light of day it doesn't look like a great tournament there aren't loads of great results there aren't lots of shocks there aren't lots of great matches there weren't there weren't lots of incredible players at their peak the players who were there perhaps underperformed there's lots of aspects of that tournament that don't make it a great one but it doesn't matter because we were anybody who experienced it at the time it was our home tournament so that gave it an extra kind of sheen and england were okay without being brilliant and they still progressed to the semi-finals so that's all the ingredients you really ever need so um i Having nostalgia for Euro 96 is perfectly acceptable. But watching at the time at the age of 13, the ages, I think early teens is is the time that you really absorb football more quickly than than anywhere else in your life because you're you're old enough to appreciate it from more, from almost every aspect because you're probably most of us are playing football by that age as well. So we're trying to emulate what we see on the pitch as well. And we're, not, and we're probably playing championship manager and stuff like that. So we're beginning to understand the other aspects of, of football rather than just kicking it into the goal. So um. I think it really is a sweet spot for sort of gathering and, and absorbing all that information. Whereas I'm, I'm kind of more selective about it now. And your point about having one eye on Twitter when I'm watching football, it, it's something I've been talking about on, on Twitter this week. And I, I did a podcast with um, a guy called George the other day where we were talking about how Twitter's kind of affected the, the football consumption experience. And it, I love Twitter. I really enjoy using it. And, and I enjoy using it when there's game on and when there isn't a game on, but I'm at some point I'm going to have to experiment with not having it on during football for two reasons, really. First of all, I'm getting all my information live information about how a game is panning out secondhand. I'm getting it from other people when really I'm old enough and experienced enough in watching football to be able to make an opinion for myself about how a game is panning out. And if I don't care how a game is panning out, I should be watching it. So that's the first experiment is simply to watch a game and, just, and judge it on its own merits because at the moment first halves fly by 
in big games as well. It'd be like a Sunday afternoon, Manchester City versus Liverpool or something like that. And the first top will fly by of a very important game that I know everyone else is interested in, but I'm too obsessed with seeing what other people are saying to actually absorb it for myself. It's, it's supposed to be the elite level of, of, of English football, uh, English football being played to a level it never has been before. And I'm, it's, I'm, I'm simply got skim reading it essentially. So there is that. And secondly, because, because we're watching football increasingly through streaming services, I watch a lot of my football through Sky Go rather than on the telly. So Twitter is maybe a good 30, 45 seconds ahead of the action. Um, and I, I think this is probably, is it, in the grand scheme of things, this is very unimportant, but it seems to be quite an important aspect of consuming football, given how much money goes into the whole thing, is that people like me are essentially not watching football live. We're just seeing what's about to happen after being told it's, it's happening on Twitter. And, it, and it's a really, really, if you take a step back, it's a really, really unsatisfactory way of, of watching live football. I remember watching live football as a kid and thinking, this is, this is it. This is the centrepiece of my weekend. I can't, nothing else matters. And now, well, it's essentially not live anymore because I've already, I've already been told what's about to happen. And it's even worse when I'm watching my own team because I'll be watching them in, in, in any context, in a high pressure game, in a game that doesn't mean anything, doesn't matter, cup final, whatever. But if someone tells me on Twitter that they're just about to score, then that sucks all the joy out of it. Oh, it's a completely. bit VAR kind yes. of level of, of ph- phenomenon of, of emotional manipulation. But if someone tells me my team are about to score, I sit back and go, well, that's great. That's, that's comforting. That's nice to know. And then I think, well, I wonder how it's going to happen. Oh, that's great. And then 30 seconds later, I see the ball go in and I sort of, I sort of instinctively go to kind of punch the air or clap. But then I think, well, I already knew this was about to happen. It's, it, in, in many ways, it's a bit like me cheating on Championship Manager all the way back in the day. It's that level of, well, it's nice and it's comforting, but it's very unfulfilling. And uh, I think that might be the killer blow. I, I need to, perhaps there is space in my life. There's, a, there's enough space in my brain left to go back and enjoy football from a real kind of edge of my seat. What the hell is going to happen? Is this my week? Is this my entire week at risk here because my team may or may not win? Um, I need, maybe I need to go back to that enjoyment of football and maybe that might unlock a few more doors intellectually when it comes to consuming football and, and knowing about it. So I think I might have to, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to run an experiment when football finally is, uh, comes back and for a certain selection, for a certain strata of, of live football, I'm going to turn Twitter off and, and, and not get into it because when I, when I think about it, what am I really missing during a, during on Twitter during a game if I don't if I don't if I don't log on probably not much so uh I yeah that's that's the it's gonna be a huge thing for me I've thought about it a lot over the last week and, and that's what I've decided to do so sorry to pour it all out on your podcast that's but, right. no. but that's uh but that's what I'm gonna do it's not it's not a big deal but it's, it's something I'm 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 thinking about more and more no it's quite difficult to, to strip things back isn't it when you've become definitely to use and everything else but uh, yeah I mean I found when I had my season ticket Obviously, I was watching the match and only the match, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. And afterwards, mm. you can catch up with all the Twitter and stuff. So I always think, if I can sit in the ground and watch the match, why can't I sit in my front room and watch the match? And yeah, completely. Watch so, yeah, it's definitely not a merit. And maybe we should we should try try it one day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll keep in touch with you. See how you're getting on. It's like a <laughs> it's like a group or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Adam. Well, I think uh, I've, I've taken over your time. So, if you wouldn't mind just uh, telling us where we can find you on twitter and where we can find your podcast and where we can find your book if you wouldn't mind doing the whole the whole hog. absolutely happy to um you can bore you on twitter at football cliches and uh, you can um 
Oh, I don't, don't know how to find my podcast actually. If you just just Google football cliches podcast, I'm sure it will come up. We were on Spotify and all the usual uh, all usual places. And uh, if you can buy my book, it seems to be out of stock everywhere. But if you do get hold of a copy, then please ignore all the references that seem to be from about 2010. So sorry about that. <laughs> uh, might enjoy the rest of the book, but yeah, um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I'm sure they will. It's a very enjoyable read. Cheers, Dave. Oh, no problem. Um, well, Adam, thanks ever so much for joining us. I've really enjoyed our chat. My pleasure. Thank you very uh, much. I'll no doubt speak to you soon. Cheers, Dave. Excellent. Well, I hope you enjoyed all the stuff on this week's episodes. Some great chats there, Dave, with uh, Chris Darwin and Adam Hurry. Thank you for those guys for coming on and uh, make sure you check out all their work they're doing. I think Chris is in charge of the Football Pink now, isn't he? Or his kind of yeah. company. Yeah, he actually didn't mention that in the chat. He's very modest about, about oh, how, he's, wow. how he's slowly taken over the world. But uh, yes, uh, the Football Pink, which has been the host of many many a good article over the years, uh, yeah. it's now under it's now under Chris's uh, tutelage. I think I think it's become a magazine now, um, as, well, yeah. as well as online. Um, he's doing a lot of great work. Um, a lot of us you've just heard about, but he's had a free plug here as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've done some stuff for the Football Pink before, and I'm sure lots of people, our listeners, have as well, or at least read it in the past. Um, but yes, thank you to all the people that have been on this week. It's a good podcast. We're good to get this one out just in time for the end of May because we've been a bit busy. I've gone back to work, Dave. I don't like it. I know. I mean, I've been at work through this whole thing, um, and it's good, and you know, it hasn't been too bad, but it's a bit weird when you're in the same office for. You know, nine hours. You come downstairs for some data, and then you go back to it for a couple of hours. So <laughs> it's. Uh, it's a very different time, but uh, it's been a very, very productive time. Uh, I say, hopefully, you're all enjoying um, the tournament. Um, that's got a couple of weeks to run yet, so you know, keep yeah. keep checking in on that. Um, Ross, uh, as of the, as of this going out, um, <laughs> you've made it through the last 16. I have. I've got a nice, easy tie against the tactic master Nikolai. It's Italy, haven't I? In the next round. Yeah, I mean, he, he won the Anglo-Italian Cup, and I saw some of the formations he was. Was plucking out the bag there, and he's obviously put a lot of yeah. a lot of thought into it, um, and he's obviously got a great draw in Italy as well. Um, so he'll uh, take some stop. Um, so good luck to you. I'm confident in my Belgian defence. They've, uh, <laughs> they've shown themselves to be strong throughout the competition so far. Yeah, I'm more confident in your attack <laughs> in, in the new defence. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, but we will be back next time talking about Championship Manager 0102. So it's going to be a big episode. Up there with 97, 98, and the best games in the series. Are we actually going to talk like four and five as well in these podcasts? Um, we're going to do or three or four as part of Champ Man Four. So right. um, we've got a lad called uh, FM Stag lined up for that. He's been doing some blogs on CM or three or four, I think. So he'll hopefully okay. remind us of a time where the football league was on its arse. So <laughs> every 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 team outside the Premier League was impossible to manage. But ah, ITV Digital. Yeah, thanks ITV Digital and that bloody mon- <laughs> that monkey, damn you monkey. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, I mean, I don't really want to do Jumpman 5, because it is, quite frankly, the worst game I've ever played, but... I've been looking at the screenshots of it, it is the ugliest game I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I might install it, and um, we can reminisce about that, but... Oh, uh, God. I, mean, I can't imagine many people tune in to see it, but... Uh, <laughs> who knows? What a car crash. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we will we will get to them at some point, but, yeah, the... the... Good stuff's coming up in the next couple of weeks, so make sure you listen to that. You can find us on Twitter, at Man of the Post, uh, all social media, basically, just search Man of the Post. If you're struggling to find the podcast at all, uh, obviously, if you found it, you're listening to this right now, but we will put it out on Twitter that you can find 
just search Man on the Post on anything that hosts podcasts and just search the feed for the Chat Man on the Post episodes. There'll be this is be the fifth one. There's four others on there with various uh, guests and interviews. Um, but yeah, if you want to leave us a little five star rating review, just just solely on the back of these ones, that'd be great. Um, where can people find you on Twitter, Dave? Uh, I am at CM9798. And I am at Rossbow1984. We shall be back next month with that, uh, the, the, one of the big episodes. But until then, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Dave. See you later. And always remember to keep your champ man on the post.